not to screw up. It is now running. Somebody remind me to turn it off later. All right. We're going to get to our study in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6. We're not quite to chapter 7 where you got hope from Jeff. But Hebrews chapter 6 is building towards that. We're in the last portion of that chapter now, and I'm going to read these verses to you, even though they're a little difficult to understand. Um, and it doesn't really matter, I can tell you this, it doesn't really matter whether you read it out of the King James, the New American Standard, or the, any other version. It's still a little difficult to understand, and so I'm going to try to explain it to you today, but the ultimate purpose of these verses is to give us hope. And we need hope. All of us need hope, consistently, continuously. Beginning in verse 9, after he's given this very stern warning against falling away from our profession of faith, same kind of warning Paul gives in other letters, a letter to the Galatians, and falling away. What does that mean to fall away? Does it mean just backsliding or behave, misbehaving? Something? No, no. Falling away is much more serious than that. Falling away means you leave the grace of God by which you were saved through faith. You leave that as a way of life. You leave the grace of God as a lifestyle, and you fall back into what's normal, what's natural for us, and that's a lifestyle of rules and regulations, laws and lies. So he's warning us against leaving grace and falling back under the law here. And after giving us that stern warning, he gives us these words of encouragement. Let me just read them to you. Beginning in verse 9, he says, But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, and things that accompany salvation, though thus we speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints, and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he, that is Abraham, had patiently endured he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, 
both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I told you that was hard to understand, right? So if you got lost in that, relax. Take a break. It's not that big a deal. This is why I was late this morning, by the way. I got lost in it. But not lost in the sense that I didn't know what it was saying. Lost in the sense of the grandeur, the glory, the amazing comfort of what he was saying. I want to share that with you all this morning. I want you to have that same amazement as the Lord gives us opportunity to study this. To begin with, we'll go back to what our author of Hebrews is persuaded of. Even though he gave us this stern warning against falling away from the grace of God back into our own efforts to live this life, he says, I'm persuaded of better things of you. I think you're better than that. I think you're going to go on. I think you can endure. And as he goes on to describe those better things, he describes the things that pertain to your salvation. Now this goes all the way back, by the way, to the very first chapter we studied in which we heard and learned there that Jesus, right now, is continuing to speak to each of us and to all people through His Spirit, by His Word, through the testimony of His church, His believers. Jesus is continuing to speak to us God's final revelation of this, what He called, so great salvation. What's He talking to you about? How God's going to save you. That's what He's talking to you about. He's talking about this final message from God saying, I'm going to save you. Chill out. Take it easy. Relax. I'm on your side. And I'm going to save you. That's the message Jesus is trying to get across. Although, it doesn't look like that. Uh, He spoke about that in chapter 2 where he said, that Jesus has got a world to come planned for us, though right now we can't see it. But what we do see is Jesus and His work on our behalf. So with that in mind, what He's talking about here is the future, particularly your future. That's what Jesus wants you to understand. What He wants you to know is that your future is glorious. Your future is one of the best things you can ever imagine. Although, right now, it might not look like it. Anybody have that problem besides me? Here God's telling me i got a glorious future, but right now I'm looking at maybe surgery on my knee and my hip. Right now, I'm looking at maybe getting COVID again. Right now, I'm looking at people struggling and having problems. Right now, I'm looking at the government and I'm scared to death. 
Right now, I'm looking at the world situation. I said, man, there is no future here. You see, what he's talking about is the same thing these Hebrews went through, these Jews in the first century who had trusted their Messiah. Jesus as the Messiah had experienced all these wonderful things that accompany salvation being born again and then immediately came under persecution. Immediately they lost their jobs. Immediately they were put in jail. Immediately they lost their finances. Immediately they lost everything in this world that would give you a sense of security. And everything in this world that would make them important. They lost it all. And so this whole letter written to those Jews is about encouragement, really. Now up to this point, he's emphasized faith as part of that lifestyle of grace we're going to be talking about. He's emphasized the need for us to believe what God says is true. To exercise faith. But that's just the entrance into grace as a lifestyle. How do you get into grace? Believe. Believe what God says is true. What follows faith and what springs from that faith is hope, which we're going to be talking about today. Now, let me explain this hope that we're talking about so that you don't confuse it, as it is so often done, with happiness. I don't have to ask you if you want to be happy. I've got this song in my mind right now that says, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, make an ugly woman your wife. I don't know where that came from. But she can cook. (laughs) Happiness is not hope. Okay, I want to make this great distinction for you. Happiness is just that. It's happiness. Happiness depends upon happenings. That is, circumstances. If you've got good happenings and things seem to be going your way, and everything seems to fall together, you've got happiness. And that's a wonderful thing. I'm not, not saying you shouldn't be happy. Okay? But that's not hope. See, happiness is related entirely to your circumstances. So if things don't go your way, if bad things happen, if you find yourself in threatening or terrible circumstances, happiness goes right out the window. Now you're unhappy. But that's not hope. Hope is something far different than that. Hope is not dependent upon circumstances. Hope is not dependent upon happenings. Hope is dependent upon one thing and one thing only. And that's the supernatural power of the Spirit of God living in you. That's where it comes from. 
It is synonymous in the Bible. It is synonymous with joy for this reason. Hope is a joyful and confident expectation in your mind of your future. You are joyfully and confidently expecting good stuff in your future. That's hope. A lot different than happiness. Now the Bible is replete with all kinds of examples of that. Most notable example that comes to mind right away is the hope that Paul and Silas had after they had preached the gospel in Philippi, been beaten to a bloody pulp, and thrown in a nasty jail cell, awaiting uncertain faith and probably death. Where can you see their hope? That would be, of all places, the most hopeless situation and circumstance. And yet, at midnight, in the darkest hour, that hope was manifested in the fact that Paul and Silas both sang praises to God. Where'd that come from? Didn't come from their circumstances. Didn't come from some little transistor radio they had with them in that cell. It came supernaturally through the power of the indwelling Spirit, the Comforter, Jesus called Him, giving them hope, a joyful and confident expectation about their future. In addition to that, we've seen over and over again example after example after example of how those folks in the worst possible situation you can imagine were joyous and confident. Why? Because they had hope. Now, the author here is wanting to get across not only to those first century Jews who were suffering persecution, but to all of us as readers of this letter, He's wanting to get across this marvelous, unfortunately not well understood, and sometimes hidden mystery of how it is that God can work in spite of your situations, in spite of your circumstances, despite whatever contrary to your things going well may be, from the least to the greatest. God is at work through His Spirit inside of you. Now, I've kind of anticipated a little bit, but let's go back to our text here so you can see how this flows, how this develops. And our author here is confident that that's going to happen in his readers. He's confident of better things of you. Rather than falling away from grace, that you be able to go on in grace. And his confidence is based on what he observed in these very folks who were suffering. What he observed, he said, God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. 
and to forget how you ministered to his name by ministering to his saints. By the way, just a little aside real quick. You see how he's talking about these, these first century Jews ministering? That's because all of you are in the ministry just like they are. Just like they were. The ministry is not a career reserved for people who go to Bible school or cemetery. I mean seminary. The ministry is for every believer. And what is that ministry? Quick review. Your ministry is to love other people just like Christ. It's my job to equip you for that. And one of the most necessary things you have to have to be able to love somebody else like Christ is hope. You have got to have hope. If you're in despair and in misery because of your circumstances, things going wrong in your life, you can't think about anybody but yourself, much less love anybody else. It's impossible. So, what the author says is, listen, I am persuaded of better things of you because I've seen you love under the adverse circumstances. I've seen that love, divine love of Christ, coming out of you towards each other, even in the worst of circumstances. And so he goes on to tell us that he wants us not to fall away from grace as a lifestyle, but not to be apathetic towards it, but to be diligent in it, to grow in it. Just like Peter said, we want you to have the sincere milk of the Word that you might grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. That being said, he gives us the example of Abraham. He says in verse 13, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. What was that promise to Abraham? You talk about despair. God came to Abraham in his old age. He was probably at least as old as I am when he showed up first time. And he said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, Abraham. And I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those who curse you, Abraham. And through your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Now that's a very generic promise of grace, but let's, let's see if we can bring it home to us today. What he was saying to Abraham, who, by the way, at that time, had no child. He didn't even have one kid. And yet God said, I'm going to multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, as the sand on the beach. And Abraham didn't have one kid. He couldn't have one kid because his wife, Sarah, was barren. She couldn't bear children. So you're talking about an impossible-looking promise. God promised Abraham that he was going to have a multitude of descendants when he couldn't even have one kid. 
Now, I'm not going to go through the whole story of Abraham. It's a beautiful story starting in Genesis 12 and going on. You can read it for yourself later. But here's the point. He swore by himself. God swore by himself because there wasn't anybody greater to swear by. He swore by himself and gave an oath that he was going to fulfill that promise to Abraham. Now, Abraham had trouble believing that. He struggled like all of us would, believing that, man, this is actually going to take place. Because his circumstances was anything but. And he went for years without having one kid. Now you all know the story how he, he decided that he heard God wrong. He said, well, maybe what God meant was he was going to give me a child through Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar. And he went through the whole custom of the day and had a child named Ishmael. But that was not the promised child. That wasn't fulfillment of the promise. That was Abraham and Sarah's efforts to make God's promise real. That wasn't the real promise. And has caused a world of problems since then. If you want to know the difference between the real root of the Arab-Israeli dispute today, you've got to go all the way back to Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac was a promised child. Ishmael wasn't. Ishmael is the father of all the Arab nations. Isaac, the father of the Jews. That's another story. What I'm getting to is this. It didn't look like God was going to fulfill His promise to Abraham. Now let me just give you one promise to help you relate to this. Okay, Just one. It's written right there in Romans chapter 8. In fact, for Sandy and I, it's become kind of like a little pet, pet number. And we see 828 and anything... We always think of Romans 8.28. You know what Romans 8.28 says? God's promise. Here's His promise. He promises to work all things, good, bad, and ugly, all things together for your good. That's His promise. Now that's just as hard to believe for us as it was for Abraham to believe he was going to have a kid. Much less a great nation. And so it's a struggle of faith. Especially when bad things happen. When things aren't going your way, it doesn't look like God is working all things together for your good. Not at all. And so we exercise faith. We exercise faith, okay, I'm going to believe what God says in spite of what it looks like out there. That's why he's given us, the author here has given us this example of Abraham. So let's finish up with him first. Wherein God willing, verse 17, more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. Now, who are the heirs of promise? You. You're the heirs of promise. Did you know that? Yeah, you are. You. 
because of your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, are inseparably joined to that seed of Abraham. Spiritually, you're all Jews. And you are heirs to the promises of God. So what does God want? Willing, He says in verse 17, we're in God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability. That's a kind of a fancy word there. Let me translate that for you, Elton. <laughs> he gets stumped on big words. Immutability just simply means he's not able to change. Immutability means consistent. It means it's always going to stay the same. And he wants to show us the immutability of his counsel. The fact that what he promises is true. What he promises will happen. And by the way, it will happen whether you believe or not. Because it's the immutability of his counsel. Of God's plan. He's wanting to show that to us now. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Now, here we need to do a little explaining. What he's talking about here is God wants you to have strong consolation. He wants you to be encouraged. He wants you to have hope and to experience personally and directly that hope he's talking about here concerning his promise and all the promises associated with who he's made you to be. He wants you to know that. In fact, you have to know that. You have to experience that before you can continue on in a lifestyle of grace and truth. Before you can continue on in this life He has planned for you, you've got to have that hope. And He wants it for you. So what does He do? It's a very interesting, although typically overlooked fact, that when you exercise faith, what do I mean by exercising faith? You choose to believe that what God says is true. And I've emphasized this over and over again, giving you two general areas in which you are to express your faith. The first is, you choose to believe what God says is true about you. About this new person He's made you to be in Christ Jesus. You choose to believe what God says is true all the way through His Word about you as His child. And secondly, you choose to believe that God has put His Spirit in you to teach you, to lead you, to guide you, to comfort you. He hasn't left you like orphans floundering around in this world trying to figure it out on your own or trying to Google it to see what you ought to do. He has given the Spirit of God, His Spirit, to you in that new person He's made you to be. To guide you into all truth. To teach you. To remind you. To comfort you. 
Now those are two great areas of faith in which we simply take God at His word. We believe what He says is true. But here's the kicker. When you do that, and though I have to admit it's not usually recognized right away by those who believe, including myself, a marvelous thing takes place. A supernatural thing takes place in you. Paul prayed for it in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. He prayed for this very thing to happen, not only in people he was writing to in Romans, but for us as well. And I want to read this prayer to you because I think it's, it's something that will make sense and tie everything we're talking about together here. In Romans chapter 15, in verse 13, he says, Now the God of hope. That's where hope comes from, God. The God of hope. God uses hope. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Now you may not recognize it right away. You may not be able to see it and experience it right away. But as soon as you choose to believe what God says is true about you, about anything else, as soon as you choose to believe that, this little miraculous thing takes place inside of you. It gives you hope. There's a joy and a peace when you believe. Now one of the reasons we hardly ever recognize it or it's difficult for us to recognize is we are so busy looking for happiness. We are so busy trying to figure out how we're going to change our happenings to relieve ourselves. We are so busy looking for happiness that we miss out on the hope that God is producing in us to begin with. If you'll take a break from your happiness search and focus your attention on the joy and the peace that comes supernaturally from His Spirit, you'll begin to see the hope that you have when you believe. When you believe, take God in His Word. And to complete the prayer, he says, Now the God of all of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. And we're going to come back to abounding in hope in a minute. That's the whole point. Abound in hope. Who's doing that? God. God is filling you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. How does that happen? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. This comes from God now. It's not something you can muster up. It's not something you can manufacture. It's not something you can go out and get. It comes from God through His Spirit in you, causing you to abound in hope, that joy and peace and believing. Our author is concerned that we abound in that hope because He knows that's what it's going to take to keep us steadfast in our faith, in our belief, in our profession, 
regardless of the circumstances that we face. And so he says this, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. An anchor. Think about what an anchor does. You're out there in the ocean or even on Lake Okeechobee in a boat, a storm comes up. You throw that anchor out. It holds your boat steady despite the winds and the waves and the current. An anchor is something that causes you to be steadfast, not tossed around. You have hope. This hope that is produced by the Spirit in you as an anchor for your soul. Now, you're connected to the anchor. Well, where is the anchor put down? They don't. Which hope we have is an anchor to the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. What's he talking about? That within the veil. The veil was that curtain between the holy place and the most holy place in the tabernacle first and the temple later. The veil, within the veil, was the presence of God. The presence of God. You mean I'm tethered to and connected to, anchored to the presence of God in heaven? He says, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus. Made a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So what's he saying here? This hope that is supernaturally produced in you by the Spirit of Christ living inside of you, when you take God at His Word, when you choose to believe that what He says is true, whether it looks like it or not, whether it feels like it or not, whether other people agree with it or not, you believe it's true. You have this hope supernaturally produced in you by His Spirit, which what got me late today is I went off on a rabbit trail at this point, went back to Romans chapter 8 and talked about us being saved within the realm of hope. There's much more I can say about it, but I won't. I'll take the time today to do it. You are saved within the realm of hope because when you believe, you take God at His word, no matter what it looks like, you have this hope inside of you that is anchored to the very presence of God in heaven. Who made that happen? Jesus. Jesus sitting on the right hand of the Father in heaven is who you're anchored to. And what's true of Him is true of you. Was Jesus secure? Yeah. Was He important? Of course. And so are you. And you are anchored to Jesus in heaven. No matter what goes on down here, no matter what happens, good, bad, or ugly, you are anchored to Jesus. One of the most recent applications of this for me has been the fact that right now we're living in some perilous times. When you look at what's going on in the government of our nation, 
and you look at the moral decline of our nation, the corruption in the government, you lose hope. When you look at the world situation on the world stage, the enemies abounding everywhere, you lose hope. And when you look at the very people who are trying to fix things, screw things up more, you lose hope. But the Word of God, His promise is that Jesus is in charge. He's in charge of everything. So all the fluctuations, the good, bad, and the ugly down here on earth, doesn't mean anything. Jesus is in charge. One of the greatest statements Paul makes in Ephesians in that prayer he prayed there is that God has made Jesus head over the church in the interest of the church. And He's in charge. He's in charge of every one of your lives. He knows everything about you. Past, present, and future. And for you, He has promised a glorious future. In other words, you can't lose no matter what it looks like. It's impossible for you to lose. Why? Because you are anchored within the veil in Jesus. So when you look around and you get discouraged and you have problems mount up, come back to this and look for the hope that is within you. It'll be there when you believe. When you believe what God says is true about you, that joy and that peace will be there inwardly despite the outward circumstances. Will you be happy? No. I ain't happy about anything in this world, to tell you the truth. But I have joy. I have peace that He's in charge and He's going to work it out for my good. And He can do it. He can arrange everything for our good. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father God, as we come into Your presence now, I thank You. I thank You, Father, for the hope that You've given us. I thank You, Father, for Your Son, Jesus, for His Spirit who works in us to give us His hope. And I ask you now to make us strong, help us persevere in this hope. Give us endurance and patience that we may obtain the promise that you have given to us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes. 